Well, please turn in your Bibles, as you see, to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. We'll be in Philippians here again for another week. Philippians is the letter on joy. Sixteen times Paul mentions the word joy, but joy just bubbles up everywhere in this letter. And Paul has great joy in this letter because he's writing to a church that means so much to him and is probably the church that he enjoyed the most. So it's a friendship letter. And Paul's joy comes from his friendship with God, first and foremost, but then it also comes from his friendship with his brothers and sisters in Christ, and you see that throughout this letter. We are relational beings, and so much of our mental and spiritual health depends upon healthy relationships. In God, in Christ, we learn how to be reconciled first to God, and then how to be reconciled to one another how to build healthy relationships and to keep the things out of our life that destroy relationships and actually can lead to the death of a relationship. You know, the penalty for sin is death. The consequences, the result of sin is death. And if we allow sin in our lives, then that's going to harm our relationships. You might think you might be able to control it. You might think it's not going to enter in and affect it, but you would be wrong. It's only as we are cleansed from our sin in action in our thoughts, in our beliefs, in our words, that we can build those kinds of relationships that are going to really bring the joy and the peace of God into our life. So this morning, we're going to be looking into Philippians chapter 4, the culmination of all of the joy that Paul has been talking about throughout the letter, where he gives some practical instruction on how to maintain good mental and spiritual health. I put those words together, mental and spiritual health, because... We live in a society that is secular, as I've often reminded you. And in a secular society, they define everything in secular terms. And so instead of talking about mankind as a spiritual being with a relationship with God, we talk about man as just a biological creature that is a result of time and chance. And so we expunge from our vocabulary as a society any vocabulary that would remind us that we are spiritual beings created for a relationship with God. And we have to be careful. We've had several good reminders in the previous number of years that terminology is important, and there's been battles over terminology in our culture on many different important issues. And as we've seen, whoever controls the terminology often controls the way that people think about subjects. And so as we live in a secular society, we have to recognize that this is a worldview that is hostile and contrary to biblical Christianity and its foundations. And so we have to do the work of cross-cultural translation of the worldly ideas that we hear all around us and be able to think about them in the biblical terms. And so I put mental and spiritual health together in the sermon title to help you see that mental health is something that the world talks about, spiritual health is something that the church talks about, but really these are two ways of talking about the same thing. And you might say, well, Timothy, is that true? Are we really talking about the same thing with mental health and mental illness versus spiritual health and what the Bible would refer to as a spiritual sickness or sin, if you want to use the more common term? And so... I wanted to talk about some of the terminology that we find in the world. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and stress right next to it. Panic attacks, the depression, and severe depression, certain kinds of phobias and anxiety, and remind you that we are not a mentally healthy society. And the science of mental health 
is a lot of pseudoscience, and it's a very early in its understanding of the human brain, human behavior, and also it has a poor foundation with being completely secular. And they're trying to define what mental health is without reference to God. This is very much the same error that is common in the secular society when they try to explain the origins of life and the origins of the universe apart from God. That yes, they are very sophisticated in their scientific methods and they are very impressive in a lot of the data and evidence that they present, but because their presuppositions are antithetical to reality, there is a God who has created all things, therefore they are lost in many of their conclusions because they're reasoning from faulty premises. And so in a similar way, to define mental health without reference to God is an exercise in futility. For you're starting from the very beginning without understanding what a human being is and what is the purpose of human life. And without understanding what a human being is, you're not going to be able to understand what is going wrong with the human condition and why we are not as healthy as we should be. Defining mental health without reference to God is the same kind of error, the same category error, as trying to explain the origin of the universe and life without God. That doesn't mean that they don't have any interesting data. It doesn't mean that they don't have any interesting analysis. It just means that their premises are flawed that leads them to many flawed conclusions. And I want us as Christians to not be conformed to the world in our thinking, as the scripture says in Romans chapter 12, to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I want us as a church to be those who are full of joy and peace and not full of anxiety and depression. You know that half of all college students suffer from depression? That is a pretty sad statistic. We must be doing something terribly wrong as a society if half of our young people in college are suffering from depression. If there's one period in your life where you should not be depressed, it's in college. You're young, you're healthy, you're getting an education. It should be a very joyful time in life. But we are seriously messing up children in many of the things that we have been led astray by our culture so that half of young people are suffering from depression. But it's not just young people who are having a lot of problems with mental illness. According to statistics from a few years ago, roughly a quarter of all adults, 18 and over, in the U.S. suffer from a diagnosable mental illness. Now, that phrase, diagnosable mental illness, there I'm using the secular terminology, but let's figure out what we're talking about here in a biblical worldview. What is mental illness and what is mental health? Well, a diagnosable mental illness is when you recognize that there's something wrong in someone's heart and mind, soul, if you want to use a biblical word to talk about these things. There's something wrong in the human soul that is noticeably affecting their ability to live life according to a certain standard, right? So the world has its standard of what is a healthy life. The Bible has a slightly different standard, although there's a lot of overlap in those standards. So when the world recognizes, well, here's our standard of what we think is a healthy mental life, they can notice that there's something wrong that is keeping people from living up to that standard. That's what they call a diagnosable mental illness. But we have a slightly different standard. Like I said, there's a lot of overlap, but there are some differences. And when we see that people are not living up according to the standard of God for what he created us to be and how he created us to be, then we call that sin, right? 
So mental illness and sin are two different worldviews trying to describe that there's something wrong with people on the inside. Something wrong with us on the inside. All right? I explain all this to you because I want you to be on guard against being conformed to the world in your thinking, and I want you to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The world goes often astray in their diagnosis of mental illness. And I'm not afraid of the term mental illness. I think it's a fine term. The Bible does talk about sin as like a sickness. And the Bible talks a lot about our mind, and that mind just means mental. So mental, mind, sickness, it's, it's perfectly adequate term to describe what the Bible is talking about as something wrong with us on the inside. But we have to be careful that we don't just use the term and then with the term also start thinking and filling it with the meaning that the world is using as well. We can use their term, but we want to infuse it with biblical meaning. And so I want you to understand that the world goes wrong often in that it diagnoses the problem wrong because it doesn't understand the roots of the problem. It doesn't understand what's actually happening. This used to happen in medicine. We've come a lot further in our understanding of medicine than we used to be because in the early days of medicine, they didn't know what was actually causing the problem and they would just diagnose according to symptoms. Now, if you go to the doctor and and you say to the doctor, well, I've got this bad pain in my back. And the doctor says, well, here's a pain pill. And you take the pain pill and you no longer feel the pain. And it's like, hey, I'm cured. No, you're not cured. You just don't feel the pain. And you might have a tumor in your back that's causing that pain and it's going to continue to grow and it's going to lead to your death, but you don't feel it anymore because you took the pain pill. And so in a similar way, you go to your doctor and you say, Doc, I've got emotional pain. He says, well, here's a pill. It's going to take away your pain. Great, I don't feel the pain anymore. That doesn't mean you've cured the problem. You see, God gave us pain as a blessing. People who don't feel pain, it doesn't help them out in their life. They have many health problems because they don't feel the pain that keeps them from solving that problem. And so emotional pain is very similar. The stress is not the problem. The shame is not the problem. The anxiety is not the problem. The depression is not the problem. The problem is something else, and the symptom are these things. And so mental health professionals, they so often deal with the symptoms and they don't deal with the actual root problem. Now, they're trying to get better at this. They're trying to get away from diagnosing everything according to symptoms and start to try to understand, well, what is the biological root of the problem? But the human brain and the human body is so complex, neuroscience is actually in its infancy as a science. And this clinical psychology is not very helpful in dealing with real issues especially when you look at it from the eternal perspective. Even if you can get people to live according to a worldly standard of productivity and health, that doesn't solve the ultimate problem of no relationship with God. It doesn't solve the ultimate problem of my guilt, which I'm going to be judged for on judgment day and being cast into the lake of fire and dying eternally. So even if you can get people to live according to the standard of a healthy lifestyle, you haven't really helped them because death is still the enemy. Death is still coming. And so the Bible, it solves the problem of sin, which is causing the anxiety and the depression and the stress and the panic and all of the emotional pain that we experience. And emotional pain, don't devalue it. 
It is something that we need. It shows us that something is wrong, and it points us then in the direction of dealing with what is the actual thing that is wrong and not just soothing the pain. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, the human brain is incredibly complex. I don't pretend to be a neuroscientist who understands everything about the human brain, but no neuroscientist should pretend to know everything about the human brain because they don't. They know very little. It's the final frontier in science. And even if we did understand everything there is to understand about the human brain, people have been finding joy and overcoming stress and overcoming anxiety for thousands of years without the benefit of neuroscience. People have faced situations that are much harder than you have faced. And they have overcome, they have conquered. And how did they do it? They didn't do it with the help of a secular society. They did it with the power of God's word. And you can read history over and over again and look into the lives of those who have overcome by faith in God's word. And Paul is a great example Paul had so many things in his life that caused anxiety, so many things that stressed him, so many things that were traumatic that he experienced. You can read all about it in the book of Acts. But he was not a defeated man. He was not a man who was joyless. And we read here in his letter to the Philippians his encouragement by the power of the Holy Spirit to us as to how we can have joy and how we can have peace. This is the inner life of the godly, Christ-like person. So let's pick it up there in Philippians chapter 4. And what we're going to be looking at, our outline this morning, we're going to be looking at relational health and then disciplined thinking and disciplined actions. So the relationship is kind of our connections with one another. But the disciplined thinking and the disciplined actions is our connections with God. You discipline your thinking, your beliefs, your inner talk, your meditations, all of that, in order to maintain that strong relationship with God and you discipline yourself in your actions because that's going to affect your soul and your spirit. You have disciplined thinking, disciplined actions for a right relationship with God and then you love others, you forgive others, you do all the things that the scripture says for the relational health and building those healthy relationships is a huge part of the gardening of mental health. Mental health is like a garden. It has to be cultivated. There's no magic pill. There's no magic bullet. This is something that is developed over a lifetime of thinking and choices and actions. Now, if you've messed up your garden, good news. It's not too late. God is able to fix what has been wrecked and destroyed, and that's what the gospel is all about. If you've made some bad choices, if you've developed some bad habits, and you're paying the price for it with a lot of mental pain, it's not too late. There is good news, and here we see what the prescription is for anxiety and depression and every other mental illness that we face. So, starts off with relational health there in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Let's read what it says there. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, the joy that we have as Christians is a joy that is in relationship. It's a family joy. And God has made us family. If a church does not develop genuine friendship of bond through fellowship, 
through hospitality, through service, through prayer, then it's not functioning the way it's supposed to function. The church is a family, and a family is so much more than listening to teaching and singing songs. A family is service. A family is love. A family is fellowship. A family is prayer. A family is spending time together. So you have to develop friendships in the Lord if you're going to have joy. If you look at your life and you say, you know, I'm just depressed. One of the reasons could be that you don't have enough good friends. Good friends go a long way towards alleviating depression. Of course, this is something that the world recognizes. It shouldn't be hard to figure this out. There's a lot of research done that shows that healthy relationships are key to a healthy life. A review of 148 different studies found that people with strong social relationships are 50% less likely to die prematurely. So having healthy relationships actually makes you live longer. It's the stuff of life. And if you have relationships that are dying, you're also going to die on the inside. And if you die on the inside, your body's also going to be weaker. That we are an interconnected body, soul, spirit, and we are so dependent upon healthy relationships. Also, healthy relationships will help you deal with stress. The support offered by genuine friends can really eliminate stress in your life. Researchers found that people who were completing a stressful task, they experienced a faster recovery when they were reminded of people with whom they had good, strong relationship. Whereas those who were reminded of stressful relationships experienced more stress and higher blood pressure. The body responds to the spirit. It's a garden that grows, and it produces good fruit if you're making good choices. It produces bad fruit if you're producing bad choices. And so many bad choices because of bad advice and bad beliefs, it's leading to all kinds of mental and spiritual pain. And that pain is the soul telling us, as it should, as it's designed by God, something's wrong. This is not how we're supposed to function. You're doing life wrong. Do it differently which is exactly what repentance is all about. When you come and say, I've been doing life wrong, I need to do it differently, and that way I don't experience all the pain of doing it the wrong way. According to psychologist Sheldon Cohen, college students who reported having a strong relationship were half as likely to catch a cold when exposed to the virus. Isn't that interesting? So, you never heard that during the last couple of years, right? How important relationships are to your immune system? Maybe locking everybody up in isolation was not the healthiest thing to do. Depression and loneliness are brother and sister. They go hand in hand. They've been associated in research as long as they've been doing research on this. And uh, when they were studying breast cancer patients in 2012, those who had fewer good relationships experienced higher levels of depression, pain, and fatigue. The same study also found that loneliness did affect the immune system, meaning that a lack of social connections does increase your chance of becoming sick, and higher blood pressure also is associated with those who have less good friends in their life. So the body affects the soul, the soul affects the body, we are interconnected, but how important the health of the soul is and how important our relationships are in the health of our soul. So here, Paul, he loves the church at Philippi. He wants them to experience joy, but he sees, uh-oh, red flag, there's a warning. These two women who have labored side by side for the gospel, who have worked together with the church, they've got a disagreement. 
There's something that they are at loggerheads about and they can't come to any resolution. And so he calls upon his true companion. We don't know exactly who he's referring to when he says true companion. I personally think it's Luke, the evangelist, who is probably here at Philippi at this time. And and Paul is asking Luke to step in and, and to help. And that's the way it should be in a family. You know, if, if you've got a problem with somebody in the church, then we should be helping each other to reconcile and to work through it and to come to an, an, an agreement. If there's a marriage difficulty and a disagreement, I don't know what those are like. I've never had one. But, you know, if by chance you happen to have one, you know, it's good to help one another and say, hey, you know, my wife and I disagree on this. What do you think? And what would be your advice? Men, do you have men that you can go to and and talk to and say, hey, I'm having a disagreement in my family over this, and what do you think I should do? we got to be in this together, helping one another, and that's going to maintain that relational health. And that relational health, you'd be amazed how much of an impact it has on your spiritual and mental well-being. So that's the first thing here, the relational health. Now, I want to back up for a minute and take a look at the World Health Organization's definition of mental health, where they said mental health is a state of well-being in which the individual realizes his or her own abilities, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. Now, as far as that goes, that's not a bad definition. It just leaves out one thing. God, right? Which is, of course, what all the secularists do. They always leave out God. But if you put God in there and you say it's a state of well-being in which the individual realizes his or her God-given abilities, can cope with the normal stresses of life through faith in God, can work productively and fruitfully according to God's word and building up God's church, and is able to make a contribution to God's family, well, that's a pretty good definition, I would say, for mental health, for spiritual health, right? And that's what we want. I was reading another article from Medical News Today, and it stated that most people will agree that mental health includes the ability to enjoy life. Does the Bible talk about the ability to enjoy life? Well, that's the word joy right there. That's what this letter's all about, 16 times. This is the letter on joy. Does it talk about the ability to bounce back from adversity? That's the second thing. The ability to bounce back from adversity. Oh, yeah, the Bible talks a lot about how to bounce back from adversity. Perseverance, endurance, all those passages. The ability to achieve balance in your life, moderation. Well, self-control, that's a fruit of the Spirit. And the ability to be flexible and adapt. That's being reasonable, being wise. The Bible talks a lot about wisdom. And the ability to feel safe and secure. Well, that's the peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then finally, self-actualization. And here, you know, the emphasis on self is a little overbearing, but they say self-actualization is making the best of what you have which is a great idea also, and that's good works, that's fruitfulness. So when you're talking about mental health, you're talking about peace, you're talking about self-control, you're talking about wisdom, you're talking about good works, you're talking about perseverance, you're talking about joy. That's exactly what the Bible's about. And we live in a society where they're trying so hard to make the Bible irrelevant to everyday life. And they're trying to make you think that your worldview is completely useless, that it has no bearing on anything that is real, and that the only reason you go to church is so that, you know, if there's an afterlife, you can go to heaven when you die. That's the only usefulness of church. But we all know that, you know, God doesn't exist and there is no afterlife, so, you know, do that if you want. If it makes you feel better, great. And they want to say, when it comes to everything practical, everything real, you've got to come to us. We're the experts. 
We're the ones who have the PhDs. We're the ones who have the financing. You've got to come to us if you want to deal with real-life issues. Don't go to the church. And the Bible says just the opposite. Don't go to them for dealing with real-life issues unless you want to end up dead. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Don't go their way. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't walk in their counsel. They are godless. Don't listen to godless counsel. Don't walk in the way of the wicked. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. But your delight should be in the law of the Lord. And when your delight is in the law of the Lord, what will you be like? You'll be like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of waters. You'll be yielding its fruit in its season. You'll be producing. You'll have a productive life. That's productivity, yielding fruit. And in everything you do, you'll prosper. But the wicked are not so. They are full of all of the consequences of sin, which is spiritual, emotional, relational death. They don't have the answers. We've got the answers. Now, let's see what those answers are. Here in Philippians chapter 4, we started off focusing on relational health, but I want to talk about disciplined thinking and disciplined actions where Paul is leading here. Moving on from agreeing with one another in the Lord and making peace in the family of God, pick it up in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That relationship that we have with God is the deepest and most powerful source of joy. It's not the only source of joy, but everything else is built upon that foundation. And he says in verse 5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So we are to be a reasonable people. We are to be a people who is focused on the coming of the Lord. And notice how the statement that the Lord is at hand goes side by side with do not be anxious about anything. Don't just memorize the command, don't be anxious about anything, and expect that you'll be able to do it. The only way that you can do the commands of Scripture is if you listen to the reasons that Scripture gives for those commands and you believe it. The more you believe that the Lord's coming is at hand, the less anxious you are going to be about everything. The more you believe that the Lord's coming is at hand, the less anxious you are going to be about everything. Think about the people in the world, the secularists, those poor kids who are being raised and they're being taught all about the world and everything is without reference to God. There's no hope in God. God's not going to come back. He's not going to fix things. He's not going to save the world. We have to do it. Young people, you have to do it. We've all messed up the world and now you've got to go out there and fix the world. Good luck. No one else has been able to do it. And you've got your own problems, but good luck. That's a lot of anxiety. That's a lot of stress to put on young people to say, the world's a messed up, horrible place, go fix it. But if you believe that the Lord is at hand, then you don't have the burden, you don't have the anxiety of being the savior of the world. It's a heavy burden to place on any generation. And they're wilting under that burden. As one speaker said, they don't even know how to clean their room, much less do they know how to fix the world. So the Lord being at hand is the reason why we are not to be anxious about the world that we live in. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe that he's in control, if you don't believe that he has an answer, if you don't believe that he has promises, if you don't believe that his son is coming, then you have good reason to be anxious. Very good reason. If your hope is in mankind to fix the problems of this world, be anxious. 
But we do the opposite of being anxious, and that is what follows in the next part of the verse. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You say, well, I've got a lot of anxiety in my life. How's your prayer life? Are you going for walks, long walks, talking to the Lord? You turn off the radio where they're building anxiety in you all the time about this and that and another thing and what these people are doing and what those people are doing. Turn off the talk and talk to God. Be anxious about nothing, but instead you pray about everything and you ask God for what you need and notice that with thanksgiving. Paul sets a wonderful example for us of always giving thanks when he's praying. And when he's talking about his prayers for the church, he's always saying, I'm so thankful for what God has done in you and what he's continuing to do in you. Now, if you go to God and you forget about the thanksgiving, you're still going to have some problems with the anxiety. Because the thanksgiving is what builds your faith to trust in the fact that God is going to answer your prayers and is going to bless you and that it's not going to be just you talking to the ceiling and nothing changing. Your remembrance of God's past faithfulness gives you confidence about God's future faithfulness and that's going to take away the anxiety about the future that you can't control. So be thankful. Are you anxious about your kids? Are you anxious about your marriage? Are you anxious about your work? Are you anxious about your country? Be thankful. Be thankful for your country. Be thankful for your kids. Be thankful for your marriage. Be thankful for your work. And you'll be surprised how much that eliminates so much of the anxiety that creeps into the human heart. You know, children are taught not to give thanks to God. They go through their whole school day, and and when do they ever give thanks to God? Is it any wonder that so many are anxious? Is it any wonder that so many are depressed? Without prayer, without thanksgiving, the human soul wilts. We see it all around us. Notice what he says next. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God standing guard. When you refuse to be anxious, but instead you are thankful and you're asking God for your needs and trusting Him to meet those needs, that's when the peace of God is going to guard your heart and your mind. You need a guard over your heart and mind. Without a wall, there's going to be all kinds of critters that get into your garden and wreak havoc. If there's no protection, the insects of sin and doubt, misbelieving, all kinds of things are going to come in and just destroy the fruit that your garden is producing and there will be no joy. You need a guard, you need a protection against what is in the world that works against peace. When you follow the example of godly people like the Apostle Paul, When you believe in your heart with disciplined thinking, disciplining yourself to believe that Christ is coming, disciplining yourself to give thanks in every circumstance, when you do that, then the peace of God will guard you. You don't have to guard yourself. You're not alone in this. God has not left you as an orphan. He's with you. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. He will protect you. And that is a wonderful thing. I feel bad for those in the world who don't have God's protection. We should pity them and share the good news with them that God is real and that God is the answer to the need of the human heart. 
Now, the mental health that we are pursuing through healthy relationships, the mental health that we are pursuing through disciplined thinking, is further expounded upon in verses 8 and 9. Focus on verse 8 with me. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, the God of the Scriptures tells you what to think about. Disciplined thinking produces a good garden. Undisciplined thinking produces weeds. If you want the weeds in your life, then don't discipline your thinking. If you want to be anxious, if you want to be depressed, if you want to be sorrowful, if you want to be filled with guilt, then think about things that are dishonorable. Think about things that are unjust. Think about things that are impure. Think about things that are ugly. Think about things that are despicable. Think about things that are low. Think about things that everyone else is thinking about. The world is trying to fill your mind with dishonorable, unjust, impure, ugly, low things. Don't let them. You have control over what you think about. You have control over what comes into your house. You have control over what comes on your television. You have control over what comes onto your phone. You have control over what you choose to think about. If somebody said something that's ugly and you just keep thinking about it over and over and over again, stop it. Replace it. As soon as that ugly thought comes into your mind, replace it with something good that that person said. It's possible. Don't let the world tell you that you have no control over your thoughts. You do have control. Take control. Do what the Scripture says. This has a lot to do with entertainment. What are you entertaining yourself with? Are you entertaining yourself with things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, commendable and excellent and worthy of praise? Garbage in, garbage out. Put good fertilizer into your brain, you're going to get good results and good food for the soul. Chicken soup for the soul is the books that they used to have out, right? Where they are filled with things that are pure and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. So disciplined thinking is very key. But not just disciplined thinking. Notice the third point on the outline. That we have to have disciplined actions as well. Your actions are going to affect your mental and spiritual health. He says this in verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the second time he's mentioned the peace of God. Back in verse 7, the peace of God was going to guard your heart, and here the God of peace is going to be with you. And it has to do with disciplined thinking in the previous verse, and here it has to do with disciplined actions. See, you look at the example of the Apostle Paul, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And so it's not just Paul, but it's Christ, it's Peter, it's the godly people that God has put into your life, godly parents, godly examples, godly friends. Look at what they're doing and do what they're doing and you will have the peace that they have and you'll have the joy that they have. All throughout the scripture, we've got the commands on what to do with our lives. The more you do it, the more you're going to be blessed. 
The less you do it, the more you're going to do damage to your own soul and to the relationships around you from which you're supposed to draw your joy in life. But the most important relationship of all is our soul's relationship with the God who created us. We were created to know God. We were created to fellowship with God. We were created to praise God. And without doing that, we will never be healthy. We will never be what we were meant to be. And so I want to share with you a verse from Isaiah chapter 41. It says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Fear and anxiety are dispelled by the presence of God in the human heart. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. So we've got fear, which is phobias. We've got dismay, which is kind of like an exhaustion, a spiritual exhaustion, one form of depression. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. So take hold of the promises of God and the God of peace will be with you. The world has a changing standard, but we have an unchanging standard. When it comes to the world's changing standard, I wanted to show you an example here. One of the things they've changed in recent years is gender identity disorder is no longer a disorder, but now is, well, I don't even know, they probably changed it more since this slide was made seven years ago, but now it's replaced by gender dysphoria, which was a condition. So they go from a disorder to a condition, and now they're encouraging it, and they, they want it to be what everybody is embracing. So the world has a changing standard. Their standard is not going to lead to mentally healthy people. Is our society becoming more mentally healthy as we reject the biblical worldview, as we reject the values and the truths of Scripture? No. We are becoming much less mentally healthy. And so we as a people, we are the lighthouse. We are those who are living according to a different standard. We can show the world the joy and the peace that they are looking for, and that will be our testimony. Healthy relationships joy and peace with God, with disciplined thinking and disciplined actions. You are a part of this battle. You are a part of this combat of worldviews. So man up, men, and lead the way in building healthy relationships and being disciplined in thinking and disciplined actions. And women, you need to show the world what a godly woman looks like and what is the result and the fruit in the life of that godly woman. And we're here to help each other. If you're having difficulties, if you're having problems, I'm here to help, but I'm not the only one. We've got a whole family that is here that is for your help, for your benefit. So don't be lonely. Don't be taking it on by yourself. Find someone that you trust. Find someone that you can confide in. Find a godly friend and work together to get those weeds out of your garden and to be planting good things so that you can enjoy the wonderful mental and spiritual health that is our birthright in Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Lord God, there is a Redeemer. There is one who can redeem the life that has been lost, the opportunities that have been squandered, the relationships that have been broken and, and even killed. There is a Redeemer who can restore the heart to God, who can restore sanity to the mind and right beliefs. 
There is a Redeemer who can instruct and teach. There is a Redeemer who can empower to be self-controlled and self-disciplined. There is a Redeemer who can create a redeemed life that will show this whole world the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for our great Redeemer and for the work of redemption that you are accomplishing among us. Amen. Well, if you have any questions about anything I've presented today, I do welcome questions and interaction. I don't always know everything and present everything exactly how I want to, and so that's where follow-up questions are good. You can say, well, did you mean this? And I can say, well, no, I probably said that wrong. I meant to say this. So if there was something that was cloudy or confusing, I'll take the blame for that. Talk with me, and then we can find more clarity.